Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Authentically You, and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer. And for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. And so today we want to talk about some of the challenges that emerging adults are facing. So here's the scenario. Well, by I'm definition, gonna... emerging adults. Well, emerging adults tend to be actually ages 18 to 33. Um, for purposes of what I've seen and for purposes of the discussion here, I'm going to argue it's 18 to almost maybe 40. I know that 40. the last seven years they're, they're arguing I'm not a so-called millennial, but the, st- the data still supports that they're behaving in such a manner. So we could say it fits in chronological age, but I would almost say it represents those who are reaching adulthood in a very slow manner compared to our generation. And that's like our generation's looking at emerging adults going like, who put the pause button on these yeah. people? And so there is this phenomena, this social phenomena, where they're merging into adulting at a much slower rate. And we're going to talk about some of those social implications. So here's a scenario. Um, We had a wonderful young man that COVID with us, um, college student. He's now 26 years old. He was in the military and served a mission and then started college life. And his experience on campus was interesting because he's got a little bit of life experience with him. He's in the middle of all that emerging date or emerging adult age by way chronologically. And he's already got some adult experiences going for him, but it's like, where's dating on this? So he goes to a college campus and he just wants to be friends with people. And this was just prior to COVID. So they're in classes with people. And by nature, he's friendly anyway. He's very sociable and people just gravitate to him because he's got a really fun, unique personality that's very warm and inviting. But he said every time he would even just pass a female on campus and say hi, you know, hi, just to be friendly, he would get the look of like, you must be stalking me. Why would you say that publicly? Um, it is not socially appropriate. He says just the energy was horrible. And so you couldn't talk to a girl. You couldn't get to know a girl. You couldn't just do what would normally be deemed normal, polite, social graces because you've got to be some creepy dude to be doing that. So he's judged before he's done anything except. So in other words, protocol for him would be not to say anything. Don't make eye contact. Um, don't be positive, no good energy at all. It's, Turn away, look away. Yeah, okay. Um, and so he's like, what do you do? How do you get to know people? What social rules are there out there for us as emerging adults? And so we had a conversation about the Me Too movement. What has that done to harm uh, social interactions between a male and females? Is every female out there looking at guys and saying, you're a creeper, you're going to date rape me, what is this, you know, like, it's the worst scenario that runs through their mind. Why are girls being so cold and so ruthless? And, and so there was that. Why are you guys so cold? (laughs) (laughs) So there's that idea that is it the Me Too movement? Or is there something more going on with millennials? So I wanted to dig down because it really kind of bothered me. I'm a mother of sons. 
And fortunately, four of my sons are married to lovely women and we have a bundle of grandchildren and they're all going on through their lives, not without social challenges of sorts, but you know, they've got they past. fit this this group, this emerging adult. Yeah, age there's frame. still emerging adult things going on, but at least they've been able to create a warm and loving relationship with their wives. And we have one son who's just barely 19, and so he's venturing into that. As a mother, I'm extremely interested what's happening to emerging adults and why. What can I do to support them? So for you as listeners, you may have emerging adults in your life or you may be an emerging adult that's struggling. Now in your practice, Dr. Himmer, you get a lot of emerging adults <laughs> that are facing these very challenges. So this is why the topic today is about this. What's been going on with the social fabric of emerging adults? Well, first of all, I take my research, you went a little further than I did on chronologically, but my research starts in World War II. And so what I found is from World War II, Dr. Neufeld and Dr. Matei wrote a book uh, on, on children and the impact that the current, fa- the nucleus of the family has upon children. So this is what they found. Post WW2, the nucleus of the family started disintegrating. And from that point, the argument was made, and this is in the late 50s, early 60s, that the children themselves started becoming very peer-centric and replacing parent-centric focus. And when Dr. Neufeld presented the material, the findings, he was basically laughed out of the halls of society as far as psychology was concerned and family therapy and etc. But when he came back 30 years later, with data that was so overwhelming there and then they had empirical evidence to support because they'd just gone through the 60s they'd just gone through the 70s and the 60s weren't really the raucous decade compared to the 70s it just it started in the 60s yeah. we started noticing that the emerging adults the the youth of the day were no longer parent-centric almost at all they were predominantly peer-centric and the idea of FOMO fear of missing out ran really strong as some sort of an energy current through the youth of the day. Yeah, and so there's there's this phenomena of what happened after <clears throat> World War II is that after the war, the men that came home from war, um, of course, at this point, after post-war, you have more women in the social fabric than you do men. But also more women working. So women, unprecedented, right? Unprecedentedly, women had gone and left the homes to go work, and a lot of these women were young adult women. So, yeah, there were some adult mothers, but really, it was that younger generation of women. I've got some great stories on some of the women that I grew up idolizing and admiring through my youth. I didn't know that they were riveters mm. on the the shipyards in Bremerton mm-hmm. and running cranes when they talked about their stories of running this big machinery as 17 and 18 year olds and then they were finishing up high school and taking on these jobs and they went straight into um, basically ship fabrication which was in our our area at the time their confidence when they talked about those experiences i think changed women across the nation in that age group because they had more confidence when the shortage of men came home these women realized hey life is short and so what happened was and the supply marrying, is short. And supply was short. Right. The marrying age became earlier. I think women forced the issue. They were like, I'm going to go find me my dude 
and we're going to go get hitched and we're going to have a family because life is short and that yeah. maternal cl- so women feel that maternal cl- maternal clock running in them and I felt they I think they felt it and they acted upon it and so what happened was youth during that time became youth during that time did become more peer centric um, they got more confidence and they were taken out of their homes because they had a purpose outside of the home. Well, it would have been, okay, there's a couple of dynamics at play here. First of all, we were no longer predominantly rural. We right. now became much more urban. Mm-hmm. So the dynamics or the nucleus of the family now started becoming compromised. And and keep in mind when I say compromised, it means it wasn't what it was before. It was before. changed. It was Not changed. compromised in a bad way, but it's changed. Well, compromise means that you're leaving the status quo. True. So the homeostasis has been broken. Right. And what was offered to youth at that time in urban centers was there were dance halls and movie theaters. That was new. And they could then, instead of socializing or having courting happening in in the home, in a parlor setting, they were being able to leave the home. And even the designs of home changed where there weren't parlors set up for courting. And so they were going out of the home for their social network. That was all new. And therefore, the the, the pull, the gravity mm-hmm. pull from mom and dad started becoming less simply because socially it was changed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same as it was before. So again, when I say it was compromised, it means that the nucleus of what was once an ag- agrarian society where mom and dad and children and sometimes grandparents... Mm-hmm. Multi-generations had a say on what was happening. And they were all together right. on a regular basis. So the, the children grew up with all the nuances of the family and they had multiple generations in which to receive education, guidance, uh, tutorship, mentoring, etc. Yeah. But that started changing after World War II. And so you've got now a family where a lot of the stuff they were learning is on the street, meaning with their friends, in the dance hall, um, at the local diner. Think of happy days. Yeah. How much did Richie and, and you know, right. Fonzie teach everybody, so right? So my parents um, went to Stadium High School in Tacoma, and right there down Stadium Way, I think it still exists, is the old, um, oh gosh, what do you call the pharmacy it, it, it Rexall is it? Oh yeah. What, what was the name of that? You, well, there's you know Ben what, Franklin, the Rexall. No, it wasn't Ben Franklin. It was. Uh, Rex, I apologize. If, I'm not sure if Rexall is the right name, but there was one of those, and I think it's still there. But it had a soda fountain. Yeah, and my parents them. talked about that soda fountain. That was the hangout place. So yeah, definitely happy days happened for my parents. Well, my parents got married right after high school, and so in their teens, in 1951. Yeah. Um. And they perceived themselves as adults enough. So they came out of just out of that post-World War II era. My mom was a little bit younger than the Riveters. But she saw them as, this is, this is what I am. What they are is what I am. Like, I have that confidence to make this big adult decision. And off we go and we get married. It would be fair now to juxtapose, uh, juxtapose the, the mindset of your mother as just coming out of high school with the mindset of a 30-year-old today. Oh, absolutely. It would be 18-year-olds in 1950 were more like a 30-year-old today. And it was okay to get married and go off to college together like my parents. So dad was taking the courses at BYU while they were newlyweds. And now the the 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, 
you know, the 28 and 29 year olds, they're still looking for some sort of a foundation that they could say, okay, now I'm ready to take on this responsibility. I'm looking at life now as someone who, who owns life. This I can move forward. And that's not happening at the no. rate it was. So I love how we've described what our parents experienced, the people who raised us, versus what young adults are are, are, are feeling today. And so here's this young man um, who lived with us during COVID. He's trying, you know, at 26, he's going off to college. He's trying to have interactions with females. And he's like, this is ridiculous. I don't know what to do, right? I don't know what to do with <clears> this. <throat> And my parents, because of World War II, were told, you got to be responsible now as a teenager. What has this generation of kids been told? Oh, yeah. So let's bring in helicopter parenting. Which emerged with the the baby boomers were the quintessential helicopter parents. And then it's actually grown. It's to become snowplow or... um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, bulldozer parents. And so we've got a, a, a unit or a group of people, and we're going to call them the emerging adults, whose parents overprotected the okay. pendulum swing. So the emerging adults have come from parents who, that when their kids went out trick-or-treating, you can't go alone. Did you, did you go alone? Well, I, when you went trick-or-treating? I thought you were going to talk about the poison candy. Yeah, I am razor going blades. to. Okay, okay. so... But I did go alone. Oh, yeah. You and I, I our alone. generation, our parents were still like, you're good, <clears throat> go out alone. But the kids today, the emerging adults today were raised by parents as you cannot go alone. You would never go. In fact, you're a bad parent if you would let your children go trick-or-treating. And that's still today. Parents, you got to be right by your kids while they're trick-or-treating. There's okay? a story when I did the, um, when I talked about helicopter parenting, I did a, a, a lecture at a university. It was out of the northeast of the United States where a grandmother saw a kid walking down the street. It was a younger kid, five to six years old, and simply greeted the kid because the kid was all alone. She was then the mother of that child who was out of eyesight to the grandmother who simply talked to the child and wanted to know if the child was okay and said hello to the child. The mother called the police on the grandmother or on this other woman who was a grandmother age and said she's harassing and my child's at risk because this woman said hello to her. And the woman was taken in because of the alleged charges, subsequently set free, but we are, the pendulum has yeah, swung, it has swung so, so far. far. And what we're describing, everybody's <clears> probably <throat> nodding their head like, yeah, yeah, we all feel that threat. You can't talk to kids outside and kids are never without supervision. That is now the norm. Well. Emerging adults grew up with their hands held trick-or-treating. They were told their candy would be poison. And that kind of came in. Well, I was told my candy would be poison in the 60s. That was when the razor blade thing. There was was something on the news. I remember a Snickers bar that had a razor blade. Now, my parents did not check my candy. Did your parents check your candy? My mother? Are you kidding me? Okay, she probably ate your candy. My parents Mm -hmm. did check their candy. It was like, oh, this is nebulous. (laughs) <laughs> this is this is you know this is a one in a million. But as a kid, I remember hearing that, and I kind of looked at my candy and like, huh, no, it's worth it. I'm diving into this mounds of bar, uh-huh. you know, like, razor blade or not. I'll know if I bite into it. But I don't think they were blade. really. They were saying they were being laced with LSD and other drugs. And to my memory, I read some research on this. That was really much more of a scare. So I think today the threat that parents feel is the sugar itself is a poison. 
And that's a, a message that's given out to the kids. You don't really want this candy. And I don't want to go into Halloween so much as that. How much control? What are the messages coming down from adults? And how much say do kids have in their life? And what does that mean as they get to that emerging adult age? Um, so the world mm-hmm. and what are what is the world perception by emerging adults and where did that come from? So the world is not to be trusted and you really have no control over your life. Your neighbor's not to be yeah. trusted. Um, the people that uh, we, we're, we're living in a new neighborhood and I already found myself offering to help in a number of areas that would think nothing about it, but these are younger parents. Yeah. And I realized that probably came off uh, incorrectly and I, it never even crossed my mind. If you're too mind. helpful, you're creepy. <clears throat> right. Yeah, and that's where I felt I was offering <laughs> things that uh, I shouldn't be offering because I don't know them well enough. Okay. So emerging adults have been raised oh, by just, parents Sorry. Like just okay. remember, we went over to give them a Christmas gift. Oh, yeah, the young, yeah, yeah. The young child, and I'm not criti- critical of this, but we knocked on the neighbor's door, and I've played soccer with that young little boy, and he would not open the door. Oh, no, the look on his face was panic. Utter horror. Uh-huh. There are people at the door. Now, the older sister was babysitting, and I believe the parents, we later found out, were not home, and they've been told, do not, under any circumstances, open, open the up door. the door. Right. Now, those kids do know who we are. And I think by now, no, we're not utter strangers. Oh, but, I hope so. <laughs> but just the fact that someone was at their door when they were home alone, like think of the movie Home Alone, right. it was that kind of a scene. Ah, and the kid ran away from the window. And we just kind of chuggled, laughed, left the gift on the door and walked away because we know. We know what was going on. We know yeah. what children are being taught by parents these days. Before we go any further, let's just take a quick break. And if you like this type of conversation, if it's fun for you to understand the research, why we are the way we are, um, please go to our website, himmerinstitute.com. And what you'll find there, and it's growing right now, we're just getting more there. We've got a couple free courses on there on how to solve a toxic relationship. But we also have courses on there to help you discover who you are, to start determining mm-hmm. how to start moving forward in life if you are perhaps in the emerging adult category the personal growth protocol course would be the one for you the other thing is that i it's not uncommon for me to get phone calls uh, such as about four weeks ago hey dr Hammer, this is so and so and they they wanted to retain my services but the real impetus behind it was we have three older daughters they have four children all three older daughters who are in the millennial category have really gone uh, in a different direction that their parents wanted them to go. And I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying it's that parents are having a hard time. The parents are having a hard time. A real hard time going. And what I now know, because we've gone further, is the impact of the parents' youth and childhood on them had a direct impact on the way they raised their children. And that's and as I mm-hmm. hear, and keep in mind that when we do these shows, it's because something's happened and we, Sherry and I just get talking about it. We've been talking about this topic for some time um, and then we've done more research and then we get to empirically observe these people in our lives and then I always have a plethora of clients that fit the category and or they're the parents of people who fit this category. Yeah. So, I mean, just to an intermittent takeaway so far what we've been describing is this history of events world events and parenting styles that affect the world perception 
especially of young adults, as they are now getting launched into the world. And this phenomenon of right now, why is launching taking so long? And why is it hard? And why is emerging adult, why are emerging adults, let's get to the real crux of it, saddled with so much anxiety? And oh, as I was describing this young man on the college <clears throat> campus, why is it even so hard to be a friend? So these are really important questions. Because when we really boil it down, one, parents do have an effect on the messages that they implant in their children about the worldview, what their worldview is going to be. And that message also comes from the fact that here's the research we've shared with you before. When in utero, I'm just going to say in utero with an emerging adult, if the mother herself is feeling anxiety, she's going to transfer that right through the umbilical cord to the child. And as the child grows, it's a cell division, right? That means the level of anxiety that she, that she transferred to that child in utero, that child is going to grow and be born with a level of anxiety and a potential false narrative about him or herself based upon the experiences the child had in utero. Then it gets compounded through those early years that are so important. Now, we live in a society where there's not normally a nucleus of a family. I think the, uh, a very large majority of children are now being born or raised without a two-parent, original parent home. Um, and what's happening is that means they've been abandoned in some degree or another. So they then, that the anxiety level gets exacerbated. Yeah. And I'm just curious, and I don't know that we found the research yet, what role is this parenting having upon the, the emerging adults that the 30 is the new 20? That the level of responsibility in life and what they're willing to do. We've even called them a boomerang generation where they end up living back at home. And that's not a very flattering term. And I think a lot of times, and this goes back to something that's happened to me regularly, the parents want me to fix the kids. And I think therein is the biggest challenge. Because their awareness of what they did as parents, and I'm trying not to come off um, as judgmental to the point where I just think responsibility needs to be understood. We are the way we were raised. Our food, family of origin dysfunctions, is plays such a huge role. And then you bring in the outside influences such as society as a whole, politics as a whole, the incivility that we now have at the political level, I think is unprecedented. I don't know of another yeah. time there's been like it, this. It feels like our world is so full of fear. And if we're talking about an, a generation of emerging adults, for a multitude of reasons, are experiencing high the highest levels of anxiety we probably have seen in, in that age group. Right. And if they are going to be parents, so here you talk about the in utero effect, if they are the parents of that next generation. What's it going to look like? It, we're talking about anxiety beyond what we could even imagine. It's only, it's like globally compounding anxiety is the potential. So the idea would be that as a society, we should grow and improve generation to generation. Right. And I'm actually seeing the other way when it comes to actually having um, friendships. So going back to the two axioms that I believe are so critical to right. understanding life. Number one, we are hardwired to connect. And when we don't connect, it hurts. And when it hurts, we're going to medicate. And we've talked about medication. Medication is all, and 100% of us, we're going to medicate behaviorally. 
But the second one's also critical. Mm -hmm. We're hardwired to grow, to learn, to change. And change is what we're hardwired to do. Yet we've got so much fear surrounding change that we have this homeostatic alarm system in our body that goes off. It's the uh, amygdala. Even though it's designed to protect us from harm, the harm that the amygdala is now going off against is perceived harm. We have more pain in this world by perceived problems that never happen than we actually have on things that really happen. So we're constantly in cognitive distortions, meaning we're fortune telling, we're mind reading, we're negatively biasing based upon immaculate perceptions what the next 10 minutes is going to look like, let alone what the relationship's going to look like. I just got a text message. A gentleman is connected with a, a young lady. They live in two different states and everything's been going well. She has invited him then to move and, and help financially pay for it. And he hit a, an anxiety wall last night at two o'clock in the morning saying, I don't know what to do now. What if she breaks up with me? What if this? What if that? Not a single neutral solution-based thought process went through his head in the text message he sent me. And now I have an emergency meeting set up with them because all of a sudden a relationship has the potential to work. Yeah, so I see that so often with emerging adults that, and we're going to talk about more about the reasons why of that. I, the hope for me is that because we're hardwired to change and we are hardwired to connect, that individually, this is why I think this message today is so important, is that each individual can take ownership, 100% of it, 100%. and create the positive change that they need. And, and to know and to recognize what their own individual growth opportunities are. It doesn't have to be the perception that they've grown up with. This is the study I would love to do. I'd love to bring a, a neuroscientist, a neurosurgeon, and compare sizes of amygdalas oh, right. between different generations. Well, they, but that be Because the larger the amygdala, and that's the part of your brain that's like the filter that says, is this information or this stimuli, friend or foe, and compare it with another. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Yeah, and we do have research on the amygdala size based upon anxiety. And, right, and more anxiety, not, bigger amygdala. Right. Hey, thanks to everyone for listening. Remember, HimmerInstitute.com, we are, we're building it even as we speak. So HimmerInstitute.com is your website where there's resources, um, or Himmer is, is where the learning is. The learning is. Hammer Center is where you can find more information about Dr. Hammer. Right. So thanks again for listening to us. We look forward to chatting with you again. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day, these never-ending worries, pulling on my sleeve.